Digital Gonzo, episode 117, recorded Saturday the 12th of January, 2013. The Muppets. This is a review of the 2011 film The Muppets with a bit of Muppet history to offer perspective. Joining me is Extra Credits frontman and Pixar employee, Mr. Daniel Floyd. Hello there. Welcome back to the show. Good to be back. The Muppets were created by Jim Henson 58 years ago in 1955. The TV-based vaudeville-style Muppet show ran for, have a guess, on how many episodes? Hmm. Quite a lot of episodes. <laughs> Can't remember the number, though. 120. <laughs> oh, I was close. Good. And five series between 1976 and 1981. In 1979, they got the Muppet movie out, which was followed by the great Muppet caper in 81 and the Muppets take Manhattan in 84. These had lower budgets each time and made less and less money. Henson, at this point, was focusing on making the Dark Crystal and then Labyrinth. His creature shop was now retained by other movies for their practical effects and puppetry, notably in the Storyteller and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. By the end of the 80s, the Muppets were effectively... The Muppet Babies. Then in 1990, Jim died, leaving everyone aghast and the future of his creations in doubt. Disney had signed a deal with him, which led to the terrible TV knockoff of both The Simpsons and The Flintstones. Remember that one? Wait, I don't. You may have blanked it out of your memory. Disney's Dinosaurs. Oh, that. Yeah. Okay. You do that one more time, and I'm going to throw you across the room. Not the mama! Ah! Again! Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> then the first of a new trilogy of Muppet films released after Jim was The Muppet Christmas Carol in 1992, which I reviewed in Digital Gonzo number 52. Despite being an utter triumph and the best adaptation of the Dickens classic ever, critics were snooty, possibly in the wake of Henson's departure, judging it as disney and not authentic Muppets. It warrants a pathetic 69% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a horrendous imbalance. It's true. However, it made great box office and even better home video sales, so Muppet Treasure Island got an even higher box office gross and slightly better reviews in 1996, despite being nowhere near as good. However, by 1999 and Muppets in Space, it seemed like everyone had tired of these guys and the movie didn't even make its $24 million budget. Ultimately, when, when you're not even breaking even, it made $22 million. When you're not even breaking even, uh, that's, you know, it's time to go away for a decade at least and then, you know, bring it back at a, a later date. I think the, the, the time away definitely was, it was a good idea. It gave, gave people time to, to miss them. Absolutely. In 2004, after five years of nothing, Disney bought the Muppets outright and spent many years slowly and subtly reintroducing them to the world with some carefully placed YouTube videos. Uh, have you seen Bohemian Rhapsody? I don't know if I've seen Bohemian Rhapsody. I have seen several of the other uh, YouTube videos that have come out, which have been 
great fun. I remember some Statler and Waldorf ones from way before yeah. they came out. Yeah. Uh, in 2008, the appallingly titled The Cheapest Muppet Movie Ever Made was announced. This was later changed to anyone? I can't remember the other working title. It was the greatest Muppet movie of all time. Oh, okay. <laughs> Until somebody sane suggested simply The Muppets. Because, I mean, I you've got to think about the future, because if you, if you release the greatest Muppet movie of all time, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> it's true. I believe I've heard that the, um, the cheapest Muppet movie ever was actually a working title of a Muppet movie that Frank Oz had in mind. It was in 1985. It was based on a very, very early script. Yeah, yeah. So I'm guessing they were... Bar, maybe the uh, initial drafts of this looked more like that at first, and it, it does sound like this film went through a lot of revision and change, even in production. On a side note, Frank Oz was kind of unkind about this film before uh, he uh, eventually got to see it. I think he'd seen some earlier drafts or read some earlier scripts, and he was saying, that's that's not the Muppets, that's not my Muppets. When he eventually saw it, he went a little bit easier on it. Yeah. But I didn't realize until I did some checking the other day that he's not voicing... Piggy and Fozzie. I, I just assumed that it was because the voices sound so authentic. But uh, but no, that is uh, someone else. It is indeed. Uh, some people, I'm sure, who have more people who grew up with the Muppets and know the voices really by heart. I'm sure it's more noticeable for them. Mm. Uh, as for me, like it's, uh, I, I really can't notice the difference. Eric Jacobson plays uh, Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, Animal, Sam the Eagle, and Marvin Suggs. The movie was originally pitched by Jason Siegel, who plays Gary, and Nicholas Stoller, who directed the frankly bloody awful Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Get Into the Greek films. He also wrote Gulliver's Travels, and if he told me that before I went to see The Muppets 2011, a cold ball of anxiety would have formed in my stomach. Now, I've watched a lot, a lot of Muppets in the past few weeks in preparation for this review, and I can say one thing for sure. These characters alone cannot carry a movie. They can't make you laugh or cry. The puppets are conduits between the creators and the viewer. If the writing is lame, the story is going nowhere, and they don't know how to end things, that will absolutely show through in the final production. Therefore, reading that in 2010, creative heads from Pixar were called in to consult on and fine-tune the script for The Muppets 2011 made everything fall into place for me. There are so many moments of flair and humour and love and detail in this film that may or may not owe themselves to that revision. I fully believe that many of them were there in the first place. It's something Siegel and Stoller couldn't possibly be faking their way through. And it's, it was a, a pet project for them. They really wanted to get this thing made. But it's abundantly clear that to make the Muppets shine, to make them work so that we all can't get enough of them, a production needs strong creative drive and a unified goal that goes beyond just another caper. In this case, they had to show the people who were there before the heart they remember, and show the children who had never met them what the big deal was with all these puppets. It's a cleverly handled balancing act that reminds me of Star Trek XI. Folks that know a thing or two about the original series can recognise the references, but nothing serious is hung on prior knowledge. It's handled in such a way that the film works perfectly well on its own merits. Likewise, it's clean, brisk, and you care about the characters, which is really all anyone can ask of a film. This was a phenomenal success. It's, empirically speaking, the best cinematic Muppet outing, just edging out Christmas Carol. It more than tripled its budget at the box office, bringing in $158 million. But crucially, it kickstarts a new series of films in a way that old and young alike can fully embrace. For example, Lyra has never heard Mana Mana before seeing this <laughs> film. Now she won't stop singing it loudly in the street. <laughs> at strangers 
How do the strangers react? Um, the one old woman flinched away from her. I don't think she had heard Manamana either. And one woman smiled. <laughs> okay, has anyone like responded with a like back at her? Not yet. But okay. I feel like if I tell her to not do the manamana, then I'm stifling her creativity and ability to bond with people. <laughs> <laughs> Just takes that one guy. So, yeah, I did some, some checking on the actual um, box office of these things, and I would have assumed that the Muppets being a big deal, and especially being associated with Disney, that these guys would have been huge earners in the past. What's the lowest one? And Muppets from Space, as I said, made only $22 million. Muppets Take Manhattan made $25 million, but fortunately only cost $8 million to make so it actually it's a lot I mean yes when I say that it's like well how much does felt cost how much does fleece cost (laughs) and how much does it cost to get a bunch of celebrities to go yeah I'll be in that today's work it's almost a surprise how not a big deal the Muppets are when you actually watch this and and, and realise how effective this nostalgia really is on people of our age yeah I think that's just they're a big part of cultural history I don't know if they've ever been huge a big, huge box office draw, huge uh, earners as far, as far as uh, finances go, and I guess that explains why when a few uh, a few films in, Disney just kind of uh, let them just let them sit for a while. Just not wasn't really sure what to do with them. Yeah, but uh, I could still see why just on the um, appeal of the characters alone, Disney would go for mm. you know, D- Disney would go for grabbing them. And they were very shrewd with promotion. They didn't just put up posters and say, hey, remember these guys? Because a lot of people wouldn't. They made sure that they were in, crucially, things that young people would have seen. I think they were on... Uh, they were. You know what? I'm going to show how not in touch I am with uh, with the kids. They were on dancing program. They were on singing program. <laughs> and I think they were on music program. You must give them credit, though, for the trailer campaign. That was a. I could only get through about three of them before I turned that off. I, really, I was appalled at the extras on this DVD. Which ones should our listeners check out? It's not so much the uh, individual trailers themselves. I think it was at the time, and so you you watched these. Uh, oh, this, you yeah. saw all these. Oh, okay, on the disc. So, just speaking to someone who started seeing them come out on their own, uh, you would look up on like AppleTrailers.com or something. You'd see a movie called just like uh, Green with Envy or something. I'm it's looking like, at no. it right now. And you. See that? I was like, oh, that looks kind of dumb. And you like watch the trailer, and then it's, wait, what's Kermit doing in there? And then you suddenly start realizing this is an ad for a new Muppet movie. Oh my goodness! And then they just keep on start putting out other trailers disguised as, like, as other films. Yeah. And there's a Planet of the Apes one. They just keep on uh, kind of pulling a switcheroo on you, and it just the can the trailer campaign itself was kind of a fun, memorable, additional thing that got you a little that just made it stick out. Which could they could be hit or miss on the actual humor from ad to ad, but it was a uh, it made even the little marketing campaign kind of stick out and memorable. Wow, you know what? I'm, I'm watching Green... You know what? I never got to Green with Emily and I wish I had. I think that was the first one they did. It's it's like... It's a rom-com between Jason Segel and uh, Amy Adams. And Kermit the Frog suddenly turns up there. Exactly. 50, 54 That's- seconds in after lots of shots of him standing in the rain and looking miserable. Totally. It, it just completely pulls a switcheroo on you and it is... Uh- the best kind of surprise. Okay, well, I think we will play that trailer now. Have a great vacation. Hi. Hi. Two people searching for love. This is the most romantic thing ever. I've always dreamt of seeing Los Angeles. One chance to go the distance. I was just wondering what the plan was for dinner tonight. Oh, I don't care. What do you feel like? Okay. I'm going to go for a walk. 
But sometimes... I forgot my anniversary with Mary. You have to break your heart. You know when you've been trying to figure something out and you can't figure it out and you figure it out and you're like, duh. To find its other half. You're my best friend. Jason Siegel. I love Mary. I love her so much and I can't lose her. Amy Adams. I love you too. Kermit the Frog. Hi there. Miss Piggy. Kermit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait, wait. Stop. Are there Muppets in this movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. Come on, guys. Let's go. The Muppets. Oh. <laughs> wow, that was an expensive-looking explosion. I can't believe we had that in the budget. So yeah, extremely uh, canny marketing on this one, and they they spent several years running up to it. They didn't just greedily chuck them out. They, they figured clearly someone smart was like, look. We really only do have one shot at getting these guys back because if it comes out and it doesn't even make its budget again, these guys are sunk. It's ten more years of hibernation. Basically. If that, I mean, even it, yeah, even longer. If 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 the the last two films were flops, twelve years in between, they not only specifically zeroed in on the kids. They made sure that some of the celebrities they got. Um, I'm I'm focusing here on Selena Gomez. The yeah. kids would go, ah, I know who this is. Okay, yeah, that's fine. As great fun as um, Rashida Jones is, I'm not sure all the kids are down with her. No, <laughs> no, it was it was a smart she's, idea. Pulling a few, pulling a few kids, things that the younger crowd were like, oh, them, they're involved. So this is a cool thing. As classic as Mickey Rooney is, <laughs> not every child in the cinema is going to know who he is, but most of the kids are going to know Selena Gomez. I'm trying. Who's the younger, the other younger boy that was brought in around that in that same scene? That was Lubio Clubio. <laughs> I'll look his name I up. I, he's a kid. I, I expect he's another kind of like. Uh, I've made notes of the people who matter. I expect he's another kids show, like uh, sort of kids level celebrity. Rico Rodriguez. He's in the Modern Family sitcom. I guess he's on some other kids show. I don't know. That is, but, yeah, that's one. But that, I mean, that which made for a funny gag in the movie itself. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg, Selena Gomez. Hi there. <laughs> Indeed, Kermit doesn't know who he is. Have you watched all of the extras? Because there's several celebs that didn't make the cut. There's a lot of celebrities that didn't make the cut. Yeah, I, like I said, I think this film went through a lot of changes, even in even in post. I mean, it seems like almost fully half of the celebrity cameos ended up getting cut for a time or for just for clutter. Oh, but just because they weren't funny enough, if you watch the deleted scenes, by and large, nothing. You're like, oh, I wish that was in. The only thing I wish they'd left in, Tex Richmond, because it's character growth. Yeah, that bit, and maybe if they could have saved the um, the uh, little bit with Walter whistling for a taxis, just because that kind of sets sets that up a little better. Yeah, but, um, but also I liked seeing Ricky Gervais, but he is in talks for the uh, uh, the sequel. There was a bit with Ricky Gervais doing his thing where he acts as himself, going to get a fake Oscar from the fake Oscars ceremony that Muppets are putting out there. Kathy Griffin's in there too, and Ed Helms is a creepy Superman. Pretender at the uh, just outside Man's Chinese Theatre, you know, in Hollywood where the freaks are. <laughs> and, yeah, um, it's, yeah it's, it's just kind of an uncomfortable scene and doesn't really kind of work towards it. Billy Crystal. The, the extra bits, for the most part, are largely like they're kind of funny, but you don't miss them too much. Mm. Wanda Sykes and Danny Trejo as well. Yeah, them as well. As a cop and a prisoner. No one's going. <laughs> Why wasn't Danny Trejo in, in the Muppets? That was just a match made in heaven. <laughs> 
Okay, and we can briefly talk about Brett McKenzie before we carry on. How much have you got? Have you watched the Flight of the Concords? I have not seen much of any of the Flight of the Concords. Heard some of the songs, very much enjoy them, but I have not watched the show. I am ashamed to say I am exactly in the same boat. I've, I've heard it's very funny though. Maybe I, maybe I should. Yeah, I, I will endeavour to do the same thing myself, and we're probably getting shouted at right now by people going, "You haven't!" But <laughs> based on the um, songs by Brett McKenzie, "Life's a Happy Song," uh, "Me Party," and "Man or Muppet," those are three of the absolute key moments in the in the film, and excellent, excellent work. Not that it matters to me at all, but he did get an Academy Award for "Man or Muppet." It's weird that, to me that that was the song they uh, submitted to the Academy. Again, that for whatever it matters. I, think, I would think, honestly, well, Life's a Happy uh, Song is the one that I always remember from this movie. And if they wanted to go for, like, kind of appeal to the dramatic sensibility of the Oscars, I'd, I'd assume that uh, Pictures in My Head. Yeah. But anyway, good good for him. He won. Yeah. It couldn't just be because of the um, Jim Parsons cameo, could it? Because apparently people made a huge deal out of that. I'm sure a big deal was made out of it because it was kept very secret until yeah. it was there. So it was a surprise. I actually was under the impression before I went in to see the film that Jim Parsons voiced Walter and that was the gag. Uh, I see. It is, it is not. Peter Lynn's voiced Walter. The mama pajama rolled out of bed and she ran to the police station. When the papa found out, he began to shout and he started the investigation. It's against the law. It was against the law. Or what the mama saw. It was against the law. The mama looked down and spit on the ground Every time my name gets mentioned The papa said, oh, if I get that boy I'm gonna stick him in the house of detention Well, I'm on my way I don't know where I'm going I'm on my way I'm taking my time, but I don't know where Goodbye to Rose the queen of Corona See me and Julio down by the schoolyard uh, I, I never, I could never really properly sit through all in a row the original three Muppet films, but of course I did for this. And now, the Muppet movie, the original 1979 one, feels like a piece of a much bigger puzzle because several of the things in that film are paid off in this, and it feels like an echo of it, the whole the road trip and pulling everyone together and sort of, like, that's how they started out. Almost like that's the fiction they spun around the Muppet show. Yeah, very much so. And I like that they've, uh, I like thematically that they have looked to the original Muppet movie to draw a lot of their cues for this story. Yeah. Because it is very much a, uh, a, well, the original film, the story is telling of how the Muppets went from completely unknown to becoming stars. And this one's kind of a similar journey from basically back to kind of unknown, out of the limelight for years, having to follow that same road again, back up to stardom. So I think it's a perfect choice. In the uh, original, one of the many original drafts, they were going to have aged the Muppets, had them be old and graying and fat and uh, kind of like the Ghostbusters are now. Uh, apparently some of them were going to be dying of old age in the film. That, that just became too dark and too horrible. And also they had to think about sequels. No one is going to really want to see it. Why restrict yourself with what the restrictions of real life are? Yeah. I mean, I know it's a nice little story device, but it'd be awful to watch. I don't think there's any precedent set for Muppets aging. Yeah, uh, yeah actually, I was just about to say, end of Muppet Christmas Carol. 
they visit old Fezziwig and it's old, old Fozzie. In a okay, chair. but that, that's their... T- but yeah, like that... In within the Muppet canon fiction, you can tell that's young Fozzie dressed up in old makeup. Uh, I mean, that's because they're because they're telling a story. They're putting on a show. He's not literally old Fozzie. Yeah, good point. Ex- exactly. Yeah, it's the first time they've actually focused on characters outside the regular Muppet circle more than the Muppets themselves in this movie as well, which is again a brilliant idea and a brilliant device to tell a story because it allows children to go in not knowing anything about the Muppets and being outsiders and to be told the story of why these guys are a big deal in Walter's eyes. Ultimately, even though Walter's in his 30s, he is still a child and so the children can relate to him and the adults can obviously relate to Gary and this kind of almost paternal bond he has with his younger brother. Absolutely. In a very general sense, I love how genuine this film feels. Like it is an actual genuine, sincere Muppet movie. It's a cheerful musical, which is not something which is like very rare and kind of uh, out of fashion at this time. There, there's not an attempt to reinvent who the Muppets are. There's not that like any. Would be the Muppets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they actually make it a gag. They don't they don't really try to they don't try to snark kind of at a what sort of like make little meta level jokes at what the Muppets used to be like and wasn't that silly back in the day that would that would never fly here yeah. it's it's almost jarring at first when you start and you have like with that first musical number and you Jason Siegel and uh, Walter just like big smiles singing right into camera and it's like uh, there's almost a reflexive feeling like are they is this like ma- is this making fun of something or are they are they like actually genuinely being this sincere about it and and they are being sincere and you realize how much you missed actual Muppet movies. Two things prepared me for that. One is Enchanted, which has a very similar flavor, um, which obviously is helped by Amy Adams being there. You don't get Patrick Dempsey going, what are you doing Um, when they're doing their sing song? Ultimately, you are surrounded by that. But we've already been subjected to the the, the sing song dancing of Giselle in the park in New York, the most cynical city in the world. So, I mean, that actually had kind of a Muppet feel already, and like I said, because she's there. The other thing, and this will knock you on your ass, Family Guy. Very occasionally, it happens so rarely, I can pretty much count the episodes on one hand, they will do something totally straight, and it'll be in reference to something that McFarlane and the the rest of the writing team have a great respect for, and or that the uh, the license said, okay, you can do it, but you are doing it straight. So, for example, they did a bit of Sound of Music in one of the earlier episodes, and there's a bit from Anchors Away where Gene Kelly dances with Jerry the Mouse that they have pasted Stewie over, which actually kind of brings a lump to my throat every time I watch it. Even though it's Stewie, they just do it so wide-eyed and, and straight that it's kind of, it, it feels that, that same level of, ah, oh, remember when life was simpler, or at least that's the story we were told. Uh, which, of course, is way before my time. That's true. I don't credit Family Guy enough for that, <laughs> uh, for their actual genuine respect for a lot of the things that it's they... It's uh... so small and so rare. <laughs> but but yeah. it does happen. It, it does definitely. I mean, you can tell that oh, we're, we're way off topic now. Uh, no, no, go for it. But... It's it's funny you bring up Enchanted. I remember at the time I wasn't super fond of that movie, and even even though, after you'd seen it, even after seeing it, I think oh, it's yeah. because I didn't realize they were going to. When I saw the uh, trailers for it, I wasn't really sold. When I went, ended up going to see it, it starts out like straight up two D Disney, a little bit kind of like over Disney, like exaggerated even for Disney, but 
at that time, Disney 2D was completely dead, and mm. we hadn't seen it in years. And I saw that, and I was like, oh, I missed that so much. And then, in, and then it just kind of, all right, well, let's jump out of that world and let's put it in, and let's put that character in New York and kind of have lots of gags about how weird and out of place she mm. feels now. And that, to, just to me, for me, like, felt like, oh, man, that... Even though like she an opportunity up, lost or missed, yeah, and, or well, even though in the end, in the story, like her optimism and all that, just kind of triumph over the New York cynicism. Mm. The fact that a lot of the movie was built around kind of the humor of how weird and out of play it wasn't. The, wasn't weren't these characters silly? Well, that sort of stuff would never fly now. Yeah, that that sort of vibe just really kind of felt off-putting to me. Just being raised on Disney, the fact that the Muppets does not do that. That that the cynical character like the only cynical characters are the villains yeah who would consider the muppets to be out of place in this world and that they don't have a pl- and that they don't belong not i'm not in, even in really culture. all of the villains just text the uh, um bobo the bear and uh deadly you know not even all that deep down disapprove True. of text stato and waldorf disapprove of all that stuff but they always have done but and they they are themselves part of the muppet act so Indeed. it's so, even so they there dance is a, sometimes there is a very real lack of cynicism almost anywhere in this film, which feels like such a welcome change of pace. The other thing that it reminds me actually of, uh, and the films came out so close together um, and are both from the same house of ideas uh, that it kind of makes me think, was there a meeting when they said, right, we've got to bring two things back, the Muppets and XYZ. What is XYZ? What came out that same year? You kick yourself, man. That, you love this thing. I'm thinking Tangled no. is my guess. No. Bring it back. Something that's been away for a long time. At least done well. I am going to kick myself. Yeah, get yourself a target. Put it on your ass. (laughs) (laughs) Winnie the Pooh. Oh. I know you love that film. Yes, I do. Yes. Uh, no, it, it just seems like, uh, you know, in my head, there's this meeting room. John Lasseter sits down and says, right, I got two ideas for you. Muppets, Winnie the Pooh. You own those two properties. Make them happen within three years. Uh, that's right. I can't believe I didn't think of that. <laughs> and again, with Winnie the Pooh, they play it totally straight. They don't go, ha, wasn't it silly back then? They even, I mean, I actually had an idea a while ago of, um, wouldn't it be awesome if Disney pulled a whole, um, trick on people and said look what we've recovered from our vaults and had basically recreated in a very specific style a film of yesteryear which never got released and if the whole thing was a ruse and it actually was created by them just on the on the sly to one side but in the old style but people don't like being hoodwinked they like being told what's what so of course they can't do that closest they can really get is to do Winnie the Pooh but continue in the same pencil scratch style with great success yeah so we're not even off Life's a Happy Song yet. Okay. Wow. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful moment. The other thing it reminds me of, Wally. Wally kind of got people prepared for this by uh, with shots from Hello, Dolly in there. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it. It was kind of, it was uh, Pixar testing the, the, the public and going, look, you know, there, there may still be room in your hearts, you cynical, cynical bunch, for this stuff. Out there, there's a world outside of Yonkers. Way out there beyond this hick town, Barnaby. There's a slick town, Barnaby. Out there, full of shine and full of sparkle. Close your eyes and see it, listen, Barnaby. 
Absolutely. And by the way, for as long as we're talking about Muppet songs, if you want the ultimate morning pick-me-up, like if you have to walk to work or something, if you put Life's a Happy Song on, like in your headphones, you could almost see everyone walking around you breaking into a choreographed number. Seriously? It's really hard. It's really hard to listen to this without a bounce on your step. I think I'm going to have to segue and and just mention how much Lyra has, has deeply taken this to her. I've shown her Muppet's Christmas Carol a couple of times before. Obviously, can't show it to her much aside from uh, Christmas, so she's a year older every time she sees it. So I think she's—it's been—it was her third year of seeing it this year, and she kind of likes it. But the problem is, Marley and Marley freak her out, as does the Ghost mm. of Christmas Yet to Come. Yeah. Um, and watching the Zemeckis one with the like overly scaring uh, bits um, made it worse. So she knew who the characters were, but she has only just stopped pointing at the beak-nosed thing and saying, that's Charles Dickens. She now corrects that to, that's Gonzo, he played Charles Dickens. Um, but, uh, but yeah, she, she, she has completely and utterly embraced the Muppets now because of this, this film. Fantastic. And nothing else could make her do that. And growing up in spot. Oh yeah, the uh, me and Julio down by the schoolyard bit. That's great. You got, um, Paul Simon starting off. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the Wonder Years with that with that home movie thing going on. Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice intro. Mm. Uh, the bit at the fun fair was evocative of Big, which is an entirely unrelated movie. But you know, not, you're, you're too small to ride this roller coaster. And then oh, he yeah. looks at a, a mirror and he imagines that he's big. He may as well walk over to the Zoltar machine. But yeah, that's no, it's a great. A device for getting kids to emote with a, uh, a, a character on screen, have them be denied something because they don't fit the bill. Automatically, you start rooting for them. While he isn't mopey at all, really, throughout the film, Walter is still an underdog. He's got a lot to fight for, and he's he's surrounded by people that he's either on the verge of feeling totally insignificant around, or they make him feel like he's somebody. So he kind of has to waver between which of those two directions he's going to go in, which is are the feelings that well up in him during Man or Muppet. Yeah. And so, yeah, Life's a Happy Song. Let's hear that song now. Muppet Studios, I can't believe it! <laughs> Everything is great. Everything is grand. I got the whole wide world in the palm of my hand. Everything is perfect. It's falling into place. I can't seem to wipe this smile off my face. Life's a happy song when there's someone by my side to sing along. When you're alone, life can be a little rough. It makes you feel like you're three foot tall. When it's just you, well, times can be tough. When there's no one there to catch your fall. Everything is great, everything is grand I got the whole wide world in the palm of my hand Everything is perfect, it's falling into place I can't seem to wipe this smile off my face Life smells like a rose With someone to paint, someone to pose Life's a piece of cake With someone to pedal, someone to break Life is full of glee With someone to saw, someone to see Life's a happy song When there's someone by my side to sing along I've got 
everything that I need right in front of me. Nothing's stopping me. Nothing that I can't be with you right here next to me. Life's a piece of cake with someone to give and someone to take. Life's a piece of pie with someone to wash, someone, someone to dry. Life's an easy road with someone beside you to share the load. Life is full of highs with someone to spare and someone to fry. Life's a leg of lamb. Life's a fillet of fish. Hey, yes it is. Life's a happy song when there's someone by your side to sing. Oh, this is the most romantic thing ever. I've always dreamt of seeing Los Angeles. I know. Walter can't wait either. You don't mind that he's coming, right? Um, no. No, of course not. As long as we can spend our anniversary dinner together, that's all I ask. Let me go check on Walter. Everything's great. Everything's grand. Except Gary's always off with his friend. It's never me and him. It's always me and him. And him, I wonder when it's going to end. But I guess that's okay, 'cause maybe someday I know just how it's going to be. You're at a bomb's deed. Get down on one knee and say, Mary, will you marry me? So let's go forward to the Muppet Studios tour and okay. text Richmond himself. The standard rich and famous contract that they mentioned there, Kermit actually gets given to sign at the end of the 1979 The Muppet. Oh, is it the same one? Yep. Oh, that's great. That's just a, a brilliant idea. And uh, But like I said... I didn't notice it the first time I watched it because they just sort of say in such a sort of, um, oh, it's a standard rich and famous contract, which sounds like a great throwaway gag. I didn't realize that related back to something. That's how subtly they add these things in. Very nice. Yeah. I did, I never figured out exactly why are Statler and Waldorf conducting these proceedings? Because they're despicable businessmen and that's one thing we know about them. I think ultimately they had to slowly introduce Muppets one at a time and there was no real way to get them in with the rest of the gang. So, of course, they had to be the ones dealing with techs, the Muppet conduits, if you will. Okay. Uh, 
And it, it was a, a great decision there because if it had just been a bunch of men talking about it, it would have almost seemed a bit creepy. But the idea that mm. Muppets are effectively selling out their own, but the are fact that it's to- these guys who never pledged to have anything like a soul makes it okay. Exactly, it's perfect. They're the ones who are always kind of mocking yeah. all the everything the Muppets do anyway. So they're really the only Muppets who could do this. At the the moment just before um, he. The, the, the humans and other Muppets enter and it's just Walter looking around Kermit's office and it, it kind of reminds me of Woody in Toy Story 2 when he sort of looks around and sees himself suddenly, you know, yeah. as a, 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 a phenomenon. The the idea of this Kermit's life is all over the walls and it, how the music just, you know, very quietly and very gently sort of um, gives you sort of impressions of how that felt a little bit. And then when it, it, the camera sort of lovingly goes over the banjos and you hear just a little bit of string picking in the background. It's a wonderful moment. Absolutely. Powerful nostalgia in this yeah. film. And what a great idea to have that nostalgia being kind of the framing device for the entire story. Yeah. But uh, I don't know how they manage it, but they managed to keep the nostalgia reigned... I think it just must be that they change the tone at just the right moment each time because just after that you get Tex Richmond and then that scream that lasts and lasts and lasts and lasts and lasts, which is goddamn hilarious. But it's, I'm thinking like if the story itself weren't about a bunch of characters who love the Muppets and dearly miss them, these shots going through Kermit's office would feel very like blatantly nostalgia driven. Like, all right, why are you a slow pan look over the tuxedo? Oh, like that's. That's totally for the fans, the people who, the, the people who've just missed the Muppet Show. Yeah. Uh, the lovingly looking at the banjos, all that. That might feel perhaps a little just uh, indulgent Probody, if yeah. it weren't for the fact that the our main characters are feeling that exact same way. Yeah. That that's what makes having these these uh, additional uh, having Walter and uh, Gary and Mary being the main characters such a great move. Yeah. Because it allows us to experience the Muppets from the outside. If you were just with Kermit, you have to really explain to the kids who Kermit is and what he's about again. But since you've already done that in a bunch of other movies, it's kind of like you're treading water. Absolutely. And the, nost- and the nostalgia driving moments might feel forced if yeah. it weren't for the, having these other guys. Yeah. Walter has felt this for most of his adult life. And um, this this connection to these guys... And has to kind of rekindle it in Kermit because he's, he's sort of, he's pushed it down and hidden it away and it, it takes Walter's influence to actually bring it back out of him. Yeah. Uh, also, when we're at Kermit's house, we get to see 80s robot who I hope is in at least one more appearance in uh, one of the other films. Not like the whole way through, but just I, I did laugh at 80s robot. He was awesome. So he's great, he's great for a little bit of extra flavor gag. Tab, new coke. I, you got to ask how long that new coke's been sitting around in Kermit's house. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a great thing about a Muppet movie. They can throw in a quick side gag that has nothing to do with anything else if it's funny enough and then let it go and you don't really blink an eye at it. It's You just enjoy the laugh and then things get back on track. Although most kids don't apparently understand what the modem sounds mean. <laughs> you really? kids today. Yeah. Uh, so... Where do we go first? I shall take the liberty of using my modem to locate the Muppets. Okay, oh. great. Wow. Oh. 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 R-E-N-O. That spells Reno. 
And we also get, before we move on to the road trip, pictures in my head, which, again, uh, if you, you know, seen these guys before, uh, it's, it's difficult not, it's difficult to watch that without getting a little bit of a lump and a little bit dusty in the room. It surprises me how melancholy this movie can get yeah. at points. This definitely being uh, one of those points and toward the end, kind of before the big victory. Yeah. Well, it, it relates back to things beyond the Muppets for us. Ultimately, everyone's, you know, looked back at pictures of stuff that they did when they were kids and marveled at how thin they were. You know, we can emote with and relate to Kermit purely on that level. And the Muppet connection is obviously, you know, what one more than that that then relates back to the film. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, once you get to a certain, it's like when watching Clerks 2 is so much easier for me now as an adult than watching Clerks 1, where I'm like, for God's sake, get out of there. <laughs> but obviously when I was a kid, you know, teenager, early 20s, watching Clerks, I was like, yep, that is exactly how it is. Yeah, that's a good point. The only way to save the studio is to raise $10 million. $10 million? That's impossible. But, I mean, the only way to raise that kind of money would be to would be to put on a show. And I haven't seen the old gang in a long, long time. Is there more I could have said? Now there are only pictures in my head. That's why my green is feeling gray. Sometimes even frogs have rainy days. Remember when the stage caved in while you were rocking out? Who'd have thought your smorgasbord would be hard to live without? If we could do it all again, just another chance to entertain. Would anybody watch or even care? Or did something break we can't repair? Your cannonball trajectory, it always gave me hope. They may have been unbearable, but I still loved your jokes. Is there more I could have said? Now there are only pictures in my head. I didn't do it. I've been framed. Ah, waka waka. Gonzo the Great will ride this baby again. His furniture Nicky, his furnace in the jiggy. The Sagato tune is absolutely, most transparently bringing me down. One, two, and a half. Can we do it all again? But I'm standing here instead Now there are only pictures in my head Uh, 
I guess if we're going to go, we better get going. We got a lot of people to find. Oh, great! But wait,、uh, how do we find them? Didn't you see our first movie? We drive. So then they go on the road trip to Reno. They meet the Mopeds, and did you recognise the guy playing? I think it's the、uh, tambourine, the the human guy with the beard in the background of the Mopeds. Dave Grohl, of it course is, it is. It is indeed Dave Grohl. That's <laughs> perfect. He's the one human guy sitting back there. He doesn't have any lines, and、uh, was it that、uh, he's playing animal, and、um, everyone else is is playing、um, like twisted versions of the Muppets? Who's Fozzie playing? Is he is he playing himself? Uh, yeah, I guess Fozzie's. They could actually get one real Muppet, and he's there headlining. Yeah, is it like the Muppets also featuring Fozzie Bear? He's actually below them. Exactly. Which yeah. Is, that's a Spinal Tap gag. I've, I've told them before. I told them a hundred times. If I told them once, I told them a hundred times. But Spinal Tap first, and Puppet showed up. It's a morale builder, isn't it? We've got a big dressing. Room. Oh, we've got a bigger dressing room than the Puppet, so that's a bit fresher. Fozzie is another huge linchpin of this movie. Seeing how affable he is, how innocent and honest he is, and he's living outside in an alley effectively for this part of his career. And when it rains, that's a real problem to him. And so when he's、uh, later on, he's you know in his hammock. Um, looking up at the stars and just hoping that it won't rain on him again. It's like he's this—he seems all sort of you know, silly and, and resilient to everything, but you kind of want good things to happen to Fozzie just because he's—he's he's a little bit pathetic. It's true. Yeah, I hadn't drawn that rain connection, but yeah, thematically, I mean, but that's really nice. Yeah, he—you you don't want him to be a soggy bear. True. <laughs>、um, you also get Miss Puggy, who again turns up later on in the movie as this really、uh, gruesome Miss Piggy alternative. Now、um, that didn't have any relevance until I uh, watched uh, a documentary which mentioned that Frank Oz played Miss Piggy as a truck driver trying to be a lady,、uh, which kind of、yeah. works, and that undoes her character because it then you realise why she behaves the way she behaves. Miss Puggy. Is a truck driver. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then they go on to Gonzo and his、uh, plumbing business, which、uh, is editorializing. Actually,、uh, the whole thing seems to be、um, revolve around the take a seat at these five toilets gag, and also the I have wired this entire business like, <laughs> button to destroy plumbing business. <laughs> Sharon mentioned when we saw it last week. Couldn't he have sold that and raised some of the capital? 
It's like, no, of course not. It makes far more sense to destroy it. And how many That's, people yeah, died in that blaze? <laughs> <laughs> that is what Gonzo would do. I, yeah. Didn't he at some point, I don't know if it was in the show or in the original film, wasn't he like, didn't he sell plungers? Like, wasn't that his business or something? Plungers does remind me of something. Like, he, like he's a plunger salesman or something. So, like, this is just an extension. Now he's a huge plumbing yeah. bigwig. I think, yeah, he, they did mention he was one of the biggest plumbing magnates in the uh, country. So it would it would stand to reason if he carried on down that road and leveraged his Muppet um, fame as a result. But it's again, he's, he's not mass, he's not happy. Significantly, he's been wearing his Gonzo the Great costume under his business clothes for is he, I think he says years. Ergo, yeah. he's been waiting for this opportunity, so you're automatically you're on board. Now, um, Gonzo is voiced by Dave Golds, who's one of the only characters whose actor has returned after all these years. Because um, Jim Henson used to voice Kermit the Frog, Frank Oz uh, doing Frozzy and Miss Piggy, and Lyra was uh, bewildered to learn that there was a relationship between Yoda and Miss Piggy and Fozzie. <laughs> and she, she has asked me politely not to do the voices. Kermit was uh, voiced and has been voiced since Jim died by uh, Steve Whitmire, uh, who also voices Beaker and Rizzo. As I said before, Eric Jacobson uh, fills in for Frank Oz. So, I mean, like, like I said, Dave Golds is kind of a big deal in terms of the fact that he's been there for, for a long, long time as Gonzo. It's, it's nice that there's still that link, although it's quite astonishing, actually, how I never really queried it. I've not grown up watching the various different stages of the Muppet career and being able to differentiate between them, but they absolutely carry these characters off and they didn't redesign the puppets either. And the, the, the Kermit one apparently has been around for for years. It, they, they didn't try to retcon them and make them slimmer, cooler, hipper, give them sunglasses. <laughs> no, I I, uh, I appreciate that, and I appreciate that they, for the most part, still use the same techniques. They technology and filmmaking tech has come a long way, but they don't really try to. Mm. There, there was never an, an attempt to. To do a CG shot so we could have like Kermit and them walking on yeah. actual ground. That they, they just they stick to what works and what feels classic. Yeah, and that's good. There's actually there's a, a sequence in um, uh, the Great Muppet Caper where Kermit and Miss Piggy ride bikes uh, in an English park, and it's actually it's kind of magic. And I challenged Disney to make a trailer without the word magic in it at all, um, or imagination <laughs> or hearts. From the magic of the imagination within our hearts. <laughs> One sentence, hat <laughs> Comes the magic of Castle Princess. But this particular sequence in The Great Muppet Caper is magic. It's, I, I don't know how they did it, because they pan out and out and out, and you're like, hang on a second, if this was a giant crane shot, surely we'd have seen the crane by now. <laughs> early, early 80s, very low-budget film. Still don't know how they did that. They could, in fact, have done an all-CGI Muppets movie. Wouldn't that have been awful? Yes. I mean, I'm so happy they stuck. Yeah. Classic. It would have, because that's what the Muppets are. Yeah. I I think ultimately, if they were going to do it with CGI, they would have to pretty much start from scratch again, reboot the thing. And since they've already done that so successfully without doing CGI, I think we're safe for a few more decades. I mean, the whole point is they're puppets. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. A puppet out of Muppet, you just got a (laughs) muh. Or a moo pet. Or a moopet. Indeed. Also, we, I've forgotten Jack Black and Kristen Schaal. Kristen Schaal, obviously, in there with the Flight of the Concords um, uh, connection. And yeah. 
Uh, also, also with some Disney connections as well. Yeah. I mean, she, she's a Trixie in Toy Story. Oh, yeah. I, she's who I uh, identified to uh, Lyra as Trixie, and Lyra wasn't entirely sure. She didn't trust it because she didn't look like a Triceratops. Fair enough. But then again, she didn't like uh, hearing um, Wallace Shawn as Rex in The Princess Bride. That's <laughs> Rex. And she went, no, 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 that's not him. He's not a dinosaur. Inconceivable! <laughs> So then we get the montage, which uh, would be when they pick up Electric Mayhem, Bunsen, Beaker, Sam Eagle, who, by the way, is Bill O'Reilly. Yes. <laughs> and this is why everything stinks. <laughs> um, it's a brilliant positioning of him. And then you got Skeeter. Uh, he was actually shot at Google headquarters on his way to the TED conference. And of I, course, he's the intelligent, the planner. Yeah. Of course, he'd have wound up somewhere important. There's even, actually the, the implica- yeah, the implication is that he works at Google, which makes perfect sense. He's, I think he's got an iPad under his arm. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, there's, uh, Crazy Eddie, um, messing with Mount Rushmore. And Sweetums. Now, I didn't make anything of this particular bit. He's the guy who chases after their car and goes, wait, wait for me, wait for me. Go back, watch The Muppet Movie 1979. That yep. literally happens, that exact same scene. It's even the same um, like used car dealership where they've made it look exactly the same. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's shot for shot. Um, and, and that suddenly gains huge amounts of relevance now, uh, having seen the original again. And, uh, and Ralph, with his extremely normal, calm um, being re-recruited. Tons of great gags in that entire montage. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then they travel by map to uh, Piggy's office. And we, we watched um, uh, uh, Indiana Jones 4 today for our sins. And um, I mentioned the whole traveling by map thing to Lyra, which seemed to please her greatly. That she realized, you know, she, she put two and two together and worked out what, what, where one came from the other. And I didn't realize it immediately, but the, uh, the lady serving Miss Piggy is Emily Blunt. Yep. Who, by the way, was with Jason Siegel in the five-year engagement. Is there a precedent set for Muppet Man? Was that a old gag or is that a new thing i don't remember and i haven't seen oh i've seen that somewhere before but i think the key to that particular sequence is not that muppet man is hilarious although it is it's piggy's lack of reaction it's her <laughs> staring deadpan at muppet man while he careers around the room that that i think is the key to physical comedy the, the reaction or non-reaction of the observer absolutely this is just me without comedy tips. Even if, well, even if it's not like calling back to some old thing, I love that they address it as if it were. It's like, I can't believe I fell for Muppet Man. Yeah. How obvious. I should have known. That's their old trick. And um, I, this is certainly not the first time that uh, uh, Piggy has been working in a, a particularly high-class joint. Uh, again, in Muppet, Great Muppet Caper, um, they even play a little bit of the riff from Great Muppet Caper. Oh, yeah. That bit. Yeah, she was, uh, she was trying to work in fashion with the luminous Diana Rigg, who is great fun in that film. Recommend that one as well. The only one of those first three I don't really recommend massively is um, Muppets Take Manhattan, which I just saw the other day and didn't laugh at once apart from... Have you seen it recently? Uh, I think it was within the last year. and Yeah, I think it is a bit... Of the weaker of the three. Yeah, it's uh, it, it seems a little bit aimless, and um, uh, the, it's, it, it does have a really creepy Muppet Babies bit in the middle of it, which then gave way to the cartoon. You can I can imagine the boardroom discussion right now of I like this Muppet Babies thing. We could totally do a cartoon about it. I'm 
And like they invent Skeeter, Scooter's sister, because there aren't enough female Muppets, of course, forgetting Janice. Mm. <laughs> who I have difficulty um, taking seriously. Not that I'm supposed to because she's a Muppet now, since she was on Family Guy, so that she had hepatitis B. <laughs> Oh. Waka waka. Who wants to hear a funny ass joke? Oh, poor Janice. Um, so yeah, Piggy's office and, uh, that's um, not bad. Uh, I, I do quite good. That's why Lara tells me to stop. She doesn't tell me not to do the, the bad voices. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you know you've hit the mark when she yeah. needs you to stop. She has put a moratorium on Gollum pretty much indefinitely. <laughs> So yeah, Piggy's office, and uh, she gets to say no, so that she can then make a big grand entrance again later on. Because ultimately, it's kind of it's almost too easy if they all say yes, and the whole point is so that she can come back. Um, I'm almost surprised she did she waited and didn't wait until the end. But obviously, true. they've got a lot of other climaxes happening there. So, but how else is she to make an entrance and upstage everybody? Because that's that's what she needs to do. Yeah. She can't just pile into a car with 18 other Muppets. Yeah, she can't just do the Ralph. Okay. Now, when there I f- has to be significance <laughs> to her return. When I first saw the next bit, when they uh, go to see um, the various TV network execs, including Rashida Jones, the lovely Rashida Jones as Veronica, uh, I had not yet seen Community. So when I saw Ken Jeong, I went, oh, it's that guy from uh, Knocked Up. Now, suddenly, Ken Jeong is Chang, and totally Chang. And I could imagine Chang himself doing Punch Teacher as a TV show. And then suddenly, Donald Glover comes in. Yep, yep. He's not even listed in the cameos. Oh, he's not, you're right. Take a look at the shows that are popular now. Punch Teacher. Oh, I love that show. It's time to punch teacher! (laughs) Finish him! It's my favorite. I just thought I could make a difference. Oh, Veronica, bad news. Punch Teacher has stopped production. It's being sued by the Teacher Society of America. What's their problem? No idea. I just found out. Right, I, I don't think I've mentioned this show before, but I'm going to do a, uh, a podcast on it sometime pretty soon. Uh, Daniel pretty much insisted I watch Community. Yes, I did. And then pretty much bought me season one for Christmas. Yes, I did. Although I had already um, seen both season one and two and realized what a goddamn awesome show Community is. I'm so glad that that finally clicked for you. <laughs> but I went back and saw the first uh, episode with uh, Paul Shotton, Plexure, just to just to pitch it to him. I showed him that, then I showed him Modern Warfare. When you guys watch it, stick with it for the love of God. Or just do what I did there. Jump straight forwards to, I think it's like episode 24 out of 26 Modern Warfare, watch that as soon as you know who the characters are, because that will make you go, ah, oh, I get this show now. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to say right now, Community. It gets even better for Season 2. Then dips a little bit for the beginning of Season 3, but then the bit with the dice in uh, early Season 3 just brought it all right yep. back again. It, it absolutely does. And then Community. The, the bits. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, Community, yes. it is great. Coming back, um, once you guys have seen Community and then you watch The Muppets again, you will go, ah, it's Joy! And ah, it's Chang, uh, at this particular point. Yes, you will. So the TV networks, this is their nod to cynicism and them going, you know, uh, th- this is what we could have done with The Muppets and, and created the, uh, the, the, the carefully remarketed version of the, you know, this classic brand. 
And I, I love her little chart where he, she just rolls it out and out and out and out. And this is where you guys are way off the, uh, you know, the, the center of what's called, which by the way, at the point the film came out was absolutely true. No true. one cared. The last film didn't even make bank 12 years ago. It's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's alarmingly true for, for, and honest for them to actually come uh, forth with that and for them to actually put it on the table and go, yeah, you know what? We aren't popular. I just like that they actually went to the trouble to make a very wide chart just to make sure. <laughs> Couldn't leave them up. It's off of it. Had to make sure. <laughs> I want to um, pause and zoom in and see who all the cool people are. I probably wouldn't recognize most of them. I think I feel I feel like, and I didn't look very closely, but I feel like in the very dead center is just like a picture of a cat in a costume. <laughs> <laughs> is it the Orlando Johnson cat? I, I don't know. I would imagine that, uh, what's her name? Selena Gomez. Might just be all of this, the guest stars, are, all the cameos are in the middle. Okay. So then there's the cleanup montage, and somehow Lyra has now started singing Starship. Um, we built this city. It is the best worst 80s song. Yeah. And perfect for this. I, I, I would say the best worst 80s song uh, is Time of My Life. But they have that too. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is representative of the best worst 80s. Yeah. In this film. Um, and, and yeah, the cleanup montage is a great way to, uh, to to get things moving. And there's something about seeing people work hard that then makes you want underdogs to succeed even more. I love the little flat shot of Scooter kind of sweeping. Hmm. And it's back to Kermit and the group. This is boring. <laughs> <laughs> the process of putting on a show, the actual Muppet show, if you go back and watch it, it's freely available on YouTube. If you just want to, uh, to sample it again, you will sit there. It's actually funnier to watch old Muppets. If you try not to laugh, if you go in there wanting to laugh, you're going to be like, Oh God, come on. But there are bits when the cynical side of you will subside and 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 it will um, wrench a snort out of you. I watched um, uh, the John Cleese one the other day, and uh, it's not dissimilar to Jack Black. It starts the show, and he's tied to a chair. And there's that, there's that sense that uh, a lot of the guests come on, and and there would be the the genuine sense of being quite intimidated as a celebrity to be surrounded by little puppets who could say anything to you and make you look like a fool on camera. Yeah. And then not really being in control of um, of what then goes out on the TV show, uh, because otherwise then you become a pissy celebrity who, who's uh, trying to control things too much. So, yeah, I, I can see why it'd be nerve-wracking for people to, who may or may not want to go in. Occasionally the guests would find a measure of truth that they could reach with the Muppets, which they might not be able to find with a human counterpart. Such is the case of the extraordinary performance of Peter Sellers. Uh, you know, I, I just love all your wild characters, Peter. But, you know, backstage here, you can just relax and be yourself. Mm-hmm. But that, you see, my dear Kermit, would be altogether impossible. I could never be myself. Uh, never yourself? No. You see, there is no me. I do not exist. <laughs> I, I beg your pardon. Yes? There used to be a me, mm-hmm. but I had it surgically removed. Uh, uh, can, can we uh, change the subject? Oh, certainly, certainly. Uh, what a great, bizarre concept for a show. Mm. 
I would love to see a new Muppet show. I don't know if it could work now. I don't know if it needs to be a YouTube thing or what, but I would love seeing that come back. I, I wonder if it would work better as shorts. It might. It might work better maybe like ten minute shorts. Um, they actually had a Muppet. Uh, I think it was just called Muppet TV or something like that, which was Muppets Tonight, early nineties, and it was set at a TV station rather than a uh, uh, a show. But there's something, I suppose, endemically early American about vaudeville. Yeah. So you've got like the theatre and. It's something creaky and this is never going to work. And the fact that vaudeville didn't work and it then died. Again, we're coming back to Family Guy at this point. You know what's said? Vaudeville. And TV's the box are going to bury it in. There's that sense of the Muppets that they're always fighting the tides of time. That they're always just not the big thing anymore. And that's their shtick. Which is a, a vaudeville term. <laughs> <laughs> it should be mentioned before we get off of this cleanup montage that it contains the best timed and executed flamethrower gag I've ever seen. I've forgotten it. What happens? Uh, I've watched chef it open- four times this week. What happens? Swedish chef opens the fridge and sees all the rotted food. Oh, yes. And then I, like, watch that. I challenge you to not snort, like, when he, just the timing and the visual <laughs> of the flamethrower igniting and the sound is, the, the comic timing is so perfect. I can watch it three times in a row and laugh just as much every single time. It is incredible. It is incredible. I'm laughing now just thinking about it. So, so does he kill the food? I think. I think. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, ultimately, it was going to be eaten anyway. I mean, in, at the beginning of Muppet Christmas Carol, some singing food actually says, "Help me! I'm being stolen." So I'm assuming it wanted to remain on the cart so that it could be bought legitimately and then consumed. It's best not to think too much no, about the sink no. food. It, it doesn't have feelings. <laughs> That's why it screams in English. Oh, okay. Um, and also, we get at this point uh, Gary's feelings for Walter, and you get that sense that, um, that you know he's, he's clashing with Mary because he doesn't want to let Walter go, even when it becomes apparent that there is actually a place that he fits in better. Yeah. Any more to add to that? I'll just yeah. So, yeah, I was I was thinking it's like that was that was not an ad. That is the all. Daniel Floyd insight I've come to know. <laughs> oh, sorry, right. Um, oh, you said, oh, you you basically said it. It's uh, I mean, it's a very small moment in yeah. itself. It's just seeing he's seeing uh, he's getting to see Walter belong, and he's seeing how well he fits here, and it kind of saddens him a bit. Mm. He, he's saying he's staying there for Walter, and he and he is because I mean Walter needs the moral support, but it is definitely kind of his own attachment as well. I'm very glad that they're gonna, they'll keep Walter on. He is now part of the gang. That's, um, it, it gives a sense of permanence that is created from this film. And they, they've definitely done that before. You know, they get, they get, like Rizzo, whenever Rizzo turned up for the first time, they kept him, either way. Um, actually, he was in, um, Muppets Take Manhattan. And I, we're talking about the celebrities thing. Dustin Hoffman was originally gonna be in that. And oh. then he pulled out because he didn't want to, insult the uh, classic Hollywood director that he was supposed to be parodying um, or pro- possibly producer and he ended up doing exactly the same thing in Wag the Dog anyway but when he pulled out a whole bunch of other people pulled out and they had to rewrite the film mm. so that would possibly account for why it feels a little bit aimless and a little bit kind of well, we don't quite know what to do we've got a lot of shtick left there's a lot of bits but it's not really a story 
but yeah, when new Muppets enter the uh, enter the scene, they do tend to become pretty permanent. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure when Bubba the Bear and Uncle Deadly came in. Was that Muppets in Space or earlier? Bubba the Bear is Muppets in Space. I don't yeah. know about Uncle Deadly, but uh, I did my reading on that. I've never watched Muppets in Space, but it's on my list of. I've been slowly acquiring the DVDs for Lyra and me to watch, and uh, the one that's on the way at the moment is Muppet Treasure Island that I remember not liking much. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a downward trend with those, and it's partly I think because it feels forced. It feels a little forced, and it's kind of very different too. The original Muppet set of movies is about is kind of a uh, fourth wall breaking meta level, like their rise to start. And much the same way the show is. You're half Manhattan, Manhattan, just the first two. They never break the fourth wall in in Manhattan. Oh, really? Okay, Uh, but. uh, but yeah, these other ones are more just like kind of actual stories or them telling like the Treasure Island story or I mean them doing the Christmas Carol story, which worked fantastically. But it's kind of more of that same sort of thing, which feels a little bit different yeah. and uh, doesn't lend itself to quite as much in the way of like gags and uh, meta humor. It's, so, uh, yeah, it's got some moments, but Bobo the Bear is easily one of the best parts of it. And it's that it's hard to have a shot with that bear that is not funny. I will seek that. Well, I will I'll watch that. That was one of the films that uh, I believe Sony still has the rights to that. They retained that. Muppets Take Manhattan and Muppet Wizard of Oz, which by all accounts is awful. I have not seen that and I'm not going to try to. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it really has been only seven films uh, officially released uh, cinematically, theatrically, and um, this is the seventh. I've been avoiding Muppets in Space for years after it got bad press. In between recording this show and editing it, I saw Muppets in Space and Muppet Treasure Island. Muppets in Space, pretty good, actually. Don't know why I avoided it all those years. Muppet Treasure Island, I've never really liked particularly, but I really didn't like this time. I've had a few people telling me Muppet Treasure Island is brilliant, and I'm glad somebody likes it, but it's not a patch on Christmas Carol. The stage appears to be set right now for this to be the start of a trilogy. Because really, if it goes on beyond three they could end up milking the franchise a bit. It'd be a great idea to just do three, um, like with two years in between them. Uh, obviously, they're, they're doing the second one right now. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, but then call it a day at three, leave it for a bit. Maybe maybe don't wait 12 years, but don't keep making them every year. Don't turn it into paranormal activity and saw. I'm sure they wouldn't. Yeah, I imagine they wouldn't either, depending on how the uh, next movies do. Yeah. And I think there are other ways to keep the Muppets kind of alive and in people's and kind of on people's radar without having them vanish completely either just continuing doing the youtube little uh videos now and then or uh some shorts like you mentioned i just had an idea hmm. telltale point and click adventure game oh man hell yes that'd be awesome i'd love that <laughs> so would uh, i never actually played um, sesame street once upon a monster i have not heard many good things about it i heard that it's like decent I, I haven't gotten to see it in person my department will not fit a connect but uh i imagine it is decent fun for like kind of parents and really young kids <laughs> my which is i guess grasp of gaming will not fit a connect <laughs> fair enough but uh <laughs> oh, i guess double fine made it so i imagine there's some level of quality there hmm. uh, if 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 uh, folks out there have played once upon a monster and like it or don't like it let us know on the forums Welcome back, everyone. I know the old place is not quite at its best right now, but don't worry. We'll be fine. Uh, commit. There's no way we can rehearse with a place like this. (laughs) Don't you guys remember? (laughs) You're the Muppets. You do this to music. 
Well, all right. We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. Built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. Piggy versus Poogie, which is uh, yes. a little change. Um, but th- this is really actually more about Piggy and Kermit and, and the, the, the sense of what did we have back there. There's there's quite a lot of Barbara Streisand in uh, Miss Piggy. There's a certain wig she wears, which is like very curly, kind of like almost violently curly hair, um, which uh, she wears, especially when she's in kind of a tossing her head around rage, uh, that she's quite Streisandy, if if that is a word. Streisandy. Yeah. Uh, and I believe, I could be wrong, but the photo of them that has been torn in half when they were being married was from the end, either the end of Muppets uh, Take Manhattan, where they actually get married in a somewhat creepy ceremony that Kermit didn't agree to, um, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, the, a brief um, marriage fantasy at the, oh, sorry, in the middle of um, the Muppet movie, which he has. Either way, it's one of those. I'd imagine the uh, Manhattan one. There's an interesting kind of a uh, characterization with Kermit in this film, just with his kind of, um, even if it's just a small thing with his real inability to kind of uh, openly tell Piggy he needs her. Yeah. Where he just kind of has a group leader mentality. So much so that he's usually thinking or only able to really, well, maybe that's not what drive is what dri- is driving it, but it's kind of what he sort of maybe hides some personal feelings behind. Hmm. Kermit very, very often can only, he's quite businesslike. He actually he keeps his feelings very much sort of under the surface. And if he has, if, if someone's hurt him or if someone's, um, if he's upset about something, he tends to keep it to himself. And you can see his, 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 well, he doesn't have any shoulders, but his body droop a little bit and his expression go down. But, but yeah, he, he doesn't really handle people on a non-business-like level. He would almost seem cold if you didn't absolutely love the guy. I, I'm a huge Kermit fan. Oh yeah, he's the best kind of humble leader, yeah, support type guy. Yeah, but yeah, that's right. When it does kind of get to a personal level, you can he always does get a little more kind of awkward and struggling to find words. Yeah, I know several people who could relate to that. Yep. Uh, then there's Mary and her me party, and we can finally talk about Mary herself specifically. A brief cameo here, like a nine seconds long, by Sarah Silverman, who I think will only suddenly get relevance to Lyra once she's seen Wreck It Ralph. 
Yep. Amy Adams is one of the most luminous and, um, what would be the best way of putting it? Uh, adorable? <laughs> adorable ladies, actors, actresses in the world? She's pretty adorable, yeah. She, she has a, a quality to her where you want good things to happen. I've, I've very rarely seen her playing characters that are conniving. I'm sure it's happened at least once. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of any conniving ones. I haven't seen The Master yet. I don't know what what she plays in that. It'd be playing against type, but it's almost like. Uh, have you seen Junebug? Uh, I haven't. She kind of got that wide-eyed optimism in that, and then made a career out of it. Uh, but at mm. the same time, it always seems very real. It never seems like she's just putting it on. Uh, yeah, she does have a very sincere quality about her, and. In just about everything. So it's, it's interesting that she's cast here as a character who is mostly really there to create conflict. She, she's there to effectively uh, be Gary's real life that he needs to be moving on with. You know, his family responsibility. She refers to Walter in the beginning during uh, Life's a Happy Song as it's always me and him and him. And she refers to him as his friend, not his brother, his friend, like almost like Walter could lift out of Gary's life, which in other hands would make her seem really unreasonable. So me party is there to get you on side with Mary and go, you know what? I can see actually why you would be upset. This is your 10 year anniversary. And, and, uh, and yeah, you just, you kind of wanted to be adults for a bit and yet you're hanging around with Muppets. Yeah. And then yourself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, another fantastic little uh, song which I've ended up humming and singing to myself and they do manage to relate it back to the Muppets by Miss Piggy singing the second second verse yeah and don't the, they frame it in kind of that like electric disco sort of uh, light thing which mm. I'm trying to remember what that's from originally it may be just a Muppet show thing you mean the borders that suddenly t- yeah 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 pass it might just have been an effect that was on tv quite often in the 70s when they you know when they'd start up some sort of disco yeah. bit I'm, I'm almost positive that's been done in the muppets before but it might just be a muppet uh, muppet show musical bit at some point so. i would imagine it, back in the late 70s early 80s it was almost mandatory for them to have a disco skit once every two weeks of 120 episodes there were probably quite a few probably so yes there, fort- there is no straightforward disco pig or any, like, extremely dated character like that. They only have 80s Robot. 80s Robot. Who they just invented, as far as I can tell. I, I think so. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the the bit that she does at the beginning, with the, it's like she cuts a bread roll in half, sticks two forks in it, and does a little leg-kicking thing. I think that's a Charlie Chaplin thing, because Grandpa does it in The Simpsons, and then the lawyers of the Chaplin estate come in and give him a subpoena. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's from the Charlie Chaplin film The Gold Rush, which, interestingly enough, is in the public domain. So you folks do all the bread roll dances you feel like you're not going to get sued. Welcome. How many in your party? Two? Uh, no. Just the one. (laughs) All right, party of one, follow me. I look around, and once again I'm on my own. My man in here, he's gone and done me wrong. Having fun, I throw my hands up high and have a party for one. I'm having a me party, a party by myself. A me party, I don't need nobody else. I'm having a me party, I'm the first in love to show. There's no one at this party that I don't already know. I'm not gonna sit around by myself. Tonight I'm gonna celebrate 
fantasy is a world that's made for two. At times like this, I feel all alone and it's like nobody cares. But I only have to call my name and darling, I'll be there. Um, and then, oh, speaking of legal action, Kermit then goes to uh, Tex Richmond, and ah, yes. um, you get the Tex Richmond song, which in the film lasts about thirty-eight seconds, if that. What we're going to play for you now is a extended version of that that actually was all put to film. And if you watch the deleted scenes in the DVD, it's there. This, it doesn't give much extra background to Tex Richmond, but it tells you why he actually has it in for the Muppets themselves. It's not just that he wants oil. He hates the Muppets. And it also explains his maniacal laugh. Maniacal gag. laugh. We, we humbly ask that you give us back our studio. Hmm. Well, Mr. the Frog, let me see. I'm Tex Richman, Mr. Texas T. People call me rich cause I got my money. I got more cheddar than some supersized nachos. Got cash flow like Robert Hester Nero's. I use more greens than Vincent Van Gogh. I make the baker bake my bread out of dough. No, no, don't eat it though. It'll make you ill. There ain't no flour in a hundred dollar bill. He's Tex Richman. Oh, string i use a string of pearls if something's for sale consider it sold i got so much gold i go plate my gold i even got i gotta go plate my cat i don't regret much but i do regret that if i could start all over i'd do it all the same except i wouldn't go play little twinkles again Much green, yeah. He's a great man. Hey, he's a great man. He's a great man. 
the Muppets time to give up your dream? The answer is no. Well, uh, you could have just said that. Now, I can understand why they'd cut out the bit about hating the Muppets because it seems like, well, hang on, uh, why do you hate the, the Muppets? Because it's done so quickly and in song, um, a lot of people might be unclear about this particular plot point. But the interesting thing is, when you actually watch it, he says that the kids at his party were laughing at him. They were laughing, and from his perception, they were laughing at him. They were just laughing at the Muppets. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah. But yeah, the the idea is that he was unable to laugh at a a young age, still is unable to laugh, and has to vocalise it himself specifically, and that's how Deadly manages to put him down. So at the end when he gets hit in the head with a bowling ball by Gonzo and then does his little sort of laughing bit, that absolutely seems like it was from a a much longer cut of that scene. And they've just sort of put in snippets of that to not sort of pay off the the Richmond side of the story. Yeah. I I think the ending went through a lot of changes. Yeah. Have you heard of what the original ending was? Uh, We can talk about it later, but, uh, wasn't the original ending that they lose and that's it. No, uh, here, I'll t- once we get to the ending, I'll say what so get I in believe the alternate animal, ending was. Animal bashes into the floor using his drum set, and then they get covered in oil. <laughs> I know that was one of their plans. <laughs> I, I could see that being one potential. Yeah. And that would have paid off the drumming bit pretty funny, in a pretty funny way. But, uh, it is important to note, by the way, that uh, Chris Cooper is, and always has, looked alarmingly like George W. Bush. So when a man who looks like George W. Bush comes in and goes, I'm going to drill for oil somewhere that matters to you people, um, suddenly the entire audience goes, yeah, you'll see about that, which is a great little framing device. And props to Chris Cooper. He actually apparently said he'd do it because he got to rap. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, yeah, he he, he puts a lot of – I mean – he is by no means a professional rapper, but he puts a lot of effort into this particular song. Which makes it funny. Yeah. As as well as the closet of singing backup girls who are just, that's their <laughs> only job. Sitting there <laughs> eating chips until he pulls them out. And uh, I, I like the bit about gold plating his cat. <laughs> yeah. That was a character who, in the final edit of the film, did not get super fleshed out. Ultimately, because we know this, though, it doesn't really hurt the film. We, we just happen to have some insight into his character because yeah. we've done some digging. But the average person on the street would just think of him as, as, as a, a not even one-dimensional evil businessman. But ultimately, he's, he's p- positioned as that. He is a parody of corporate greed. He doesn't need to have uh, motivation it's true. specifically against the Muppets. The movie works without it. It's just a nice extra bit. Absolutely. Uh, and then we get to the... There's a bit of um, hoo-ha with kidnapping Jack Black, but I suppose we could talk about that later. Um, but... Man or Muppet? Uh, you said that you were surprised that this uh, won the Oscar over other ones? No, I'm surprised that this one was the one they submitted rather than... It, it wasn't my favorite of the songs, but there are a lot of great songs to choose from. So. See, that's interesting because uh, this... It's not the highlight because like, oh, it's so much better, but I can see why this is really catchy. This yeah, is the, I mean, it's, super, it's a great song at, at the same time. Like, I don't want to like dismiss the song. It's just there are a lot of other ones that are my personal favorites. I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, 
so yeah, this is the, the the sequence where uh Gary gets to sing to himself and his Muppet self Hove's interview in the in the jewelry store. And uh then Walter gets her to sing to Jim Parsons from uh, Big Bang Theory. Fortunately Jim Parsons isn't voicing Walter because otherwise uh he wouldn't be able to stick around with the Muppets for future films. That's true. <laughs> Actually. For me this is uh the uh, emotional core of the film because ultimately any film about people trying to uh, to find themselves and ah yeah have you seen amazing spider-man yet uh the newest one or um yeah i have not at the very end um this is not a spoiler at all uh peter is in class i don't know if they're teaching english or or literature or something but uh the uh, lecturer is talking about the integral aspects, I believe, of storytelling. And she says the, the one important question that it all boils down to in the heart of every great story, who am I? Hmm. And so that's what this song is. It's Gary, you know, learning to, to, to grow up, let his brother do what his brother has to do, but also to marry Mary, be an adult, and, and, and be fine with that and, and be able to, to, to not feel scared of being trapped by it ultimately he's kind of an extension of kermit because kermit himself always seemed to be sort of intimidated by that side of things with piggy actually yeah there are a lot of um there are a lot of parallels between those two couples yeah hence piggy doing the me party song as well i jumped over on the spot um walter of course is we kind of have to take it for granted that the muppets are made of fleece because obviously, you know, Walter asking, um, uh, do I belong with these people or not? Of course he does. He's made of fleece. <laughs> but it's, we're supposed to kind of, I suppose, take it as a metaphor of, you know, imagine if this was all entirely in real life and the Muppets, you know, weren't obviously puppets. It, it's a case of um, having a connection with certain kinds of people and... Uh, and ultimately, so many Disney films specifically are about someone asking where they belong. I mean, there's even a song about it in Hercules. And, um, uh, we, we feel a sense of victory when someone finds that. Uh, because it, most people will go through their lives feeling somewhat alienated by their surroundings. And if they don't, lucky them. But I think it, it specifically affects the geeks more than anyone else. And yeah, at least that's the one that we're, we're very familiar with. Yeah, and Muppets are a great allegory for geeks. Lovable weirdos. Yes. Gary, I've gone home. I love you, but you need to decide. Are you a man or a Muppet? reflect on my reflection and I ask myself the question what's the right direction to go I don't know am I a man or am I a Muppet if I'm a Muppet then I'm a very manly Muppet Muppet of a man I look into 
size And I don't recognize The one I see inside It's time for me to decide Am I a man Or am I a Muppet Am I a Muppet If I'm a Muppet Well I'm a very manly Muppet Very manly Muppet Am I a Muppet Or am I a man Am I a man If I'm a man That makes me a Muppet of a man A Muppet of a man Here I go again I'm always running out of time I think I made up my mind Now I understand So the show begins, and there is that uh, eclectic telethon full of uh, uh, celebrities they could rope in at the last minute. John Krasinski in there. I, I don't know why, just the fact that he's in there along with Rashida Jones. It almost feels like, you know, Office Season 3, they were a couple, so um, it's kind of like she's <laughs> in on it. That might have been the connection. Yeah. Neil Patrick Harris is in uh, How I Met Your Mother with Jason Siegel. And uh, Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> uh, Not sure of that connection. Show up to the opening of an envelope, and uh, and yes, yeah, Selena Gomez for the kids. Uh, but I think ultimately that's uh, um, indicative of of what your average telethon worth of, of of oddballs ends up looking like. And yeah, the remit here was to recreate what the Muppet Show was like, which is something that the uh, movies uh, of, of the six that have gone so far never really tried to recreate the TV show. Uh, but this, this was literally sort of calling back to it. And they didn't pull their punches in terms of, uh, this is what we've got. We've got a barbershop quartet doing, um, <laughs> it smells like teen spirit. That's literally <laughs> a gag. It's, it's Beaker going, meow, 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 meow. <laughs> it's not like, and then they're not claiming that the Muppets were massively funny back in their day. They're just going, hey, this is what we did. Sometimes the low quality of the humor is itself what is funny. Yes. Like I said, about trying not to laugh kind of helps it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just charm. It's the Muppet Telethon! Yay! It's back to the days of yore down at the old barber shop. Hello. 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 Load up on Bring your friends It's fun to lose And to be 
pretend. She's overboard and self-assured. Oh no, I know a dirty word. Get the lights out. Here we are now. I passed Here we are now. And I forget just why I taste. Oh yeah, I guess it makes me. Smile. I found it hard. It's hard to find. Oh well, whatever. Never mind. Get the lights out. Here we are now. Here we are now. I almost kind of wish that Jack Black had played into it a little bit more because he, he just does one thing throughout the entire show, which is to complain and cry. Yeah, Jack Black being enthusiastic about stuff is incredibly infectious. That's a good point, but uh, I, mean, I guess I can see, like, Story-wise, why it goes the way it does, but uh, I could almost imagine if Jason Segel had not been anything to do with this, if they'd framed it around Jack Black trying to bring them back, because he'd just be playing Dewey Finn from um, School of Rock, who is Jack Black without the profanity. <laughs> it's true. So I mean, I'd still have, I've been fine watching that film. I would have felt a bit like Jack. You're not even stretching yourself at this stage, but uh, but yeah, that, that would also have been fine. This is a tangent, I guess. Jack Black has a pretty strong personality. He might have kind of. It might have been part. He might have upstaged yeah. the actual Muppets. This is not about you, Jack. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it kind of it kind of works with him the, being just the captured, loud, protesting guy. And we've seen him effectively playing Walter in Kung Fu Panda. That's true. Yeah, absolutely idolizing the Furious Five. Gonzo, oh, yeah. coming soon. So now we're at the point of the lovers, the dreamers, and me. The um, the, the song that Kermit sings, and uh, this is what he starts. The 1979 The Muppet Movie with. And uh, again, room got a little dusty. Extremely difficult to just keep entirely straight face and somber attitude during this particular one. You have to at least sway from side to side. It's yeah, kind of- this is definitely the biggest nostalgia bomb probably of the entire thing. Getting the, getting the big wide shot, seeing all the Muppets singing again, and then you realize I'm in a theater watching this, watching this in a Muppet movie mm. again, and you just... I don't think a lot of people realize how much they missed the Muppets until this movie came out. Yeah. They just realized that there had just been a huge Muppet-shaped hole in our popular culture. <laughs> um, Muppet-shaped hole is our Gua cover band. Uh, 
<laughs> Rainbow Connection is the uh, name of the song, not The Lovers of Dreamers and Me. Um, it's, I think ju- it might just be the line, have you been half asleep and have you heard voices? I swear they're calling my name. But that's such a lovely, poetic, kind of sappy line, but it just gets to me every single time. Yeah, that's a wonderful song. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously Jim, Jim sang it the, uh, the first time in, in voicing Kermit, but, uh, it's, uh, you know, getting all of them to, to join in for this one. It's, it, it kind of, it sums up the innocence of these guys. And there's, there's a certain amount of sixties, the, the kind of the hippie movement thing going in there and all of the idealism that was linked in with that. And yeah. to have that tra- transported all the way over here now when the moopets, what the worker is the norm. It, it is kind of um, special. It is. Absolutely. Miss Piggy, it's time for our song. Oh, can you? Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions, and rainbows have nothing to hide. So we've been told, and some choose to believe it. I know they're wrong, wait and see. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection. Lovers, the dreamers, and me. Who said that every wish would be heard and answered when wished on the morning star? Somebody thought of that, and someone believed it. Look what it's done. The dreamers and me, all of us under its spell, we know that it's probably magic. Have you been half asleep and have you heard voices? I've heard them calling my name. Is this the sweet sound that calls the young sailors The voice might be one and the same I've heard it too many times to ignore it It's something that I'm supposed to be
there's the crisis, and Walter doesn't know whether he can go in there at all. Oh, actually, yeah. Walter himself creates a Muppet-shaped hole. <laughs> in the wall. In the wall. And yeah, Gary has to motivate him, which is... The thing about um, believing in others being easy and having to believe in yourself... I, I don't know. I think that might be different for other people. I've I've never really had... Oh, God, is that a lie? Is that a lie, saying that I've never had difficulty believing in myself? Or is it all just bluster and veneer that I, uh, that I could consider to be belief in myself, but deep down there is a certain amount of uh, anxiety at my lack of ability? I expect most people deal with a bit of trouble with a bit of both of those, believing in themselves and in others at different points in their life. Yeah, I think it's too easy to say it's easy to believe in others and hard to believe in yourself. Obviously, it, it, it does go um, up and down. But I think definitely for Walter at that stage, that is a truism. That, absolutely. I mean, he's believed in the Muppets his entire life. And so, I mean, in the, and he's saying the entire... He's really just the little fanboy character the entire time, fainting when Kermit says he's his friend. Uh, fainting a lot of times, actually. Uh, oh, I love the bit where he says, you're on my watch. That was such a lovely... That was apparently <laughs> improvised, that moment, and they ended up having to shoot a little scene where he gets the watch at the beginning just to actually give that some, like, setup for that bit. Yeah. And he says later on as well that, uh, like, he feels out of... Pl- it feels wrong for him even being here. He yeah. just feels like, I can't believe I'm with these guys. So for him, that is absolutely the biggest challenge. His self-worth hangs in the balance at this stage, depending on how much they accept him or not. Yeah. So he comes out and he does his oh, the whistling Caruso, uh, which is uh, was apparently performed by a, uh, a multi-skilled uh, musician named Andrew Bird. Wow. Which yeah is um, is absolutely astonishing. It's 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 like a minute and a bit long, and it's one of those wonderful little acts that it's like um, Kirsten Dunst when she comes out at the end of Drop Dead Gorgeous. She only tap dances for a little bit, but it's that thing that makes you go, wow, talent straight away. And then that's it. You just clap and then they're gone. And you're like, I could really have watched a lot more of that. Yeah. I think we all love seeing those sort of like sudden unexpected bursts of, of talent. I think that's probably why people sit watching Britain's Got Talent. Uh, what's it called in America? Uh, America's Got Talent? Uh, there's probably like five or six yeah. of that exact show. That kind of thing. Um, waiting for unexpected talent to come along. But it doesn't come along if you're expecting for unexpected talent to come along. If those shows ran and then like once a month a really genuine talent showed up, <laughs> then it would be special. Jesus. Um, I, th- th- I have such a hatred of reality TV. God. Uh, I-, I share it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I will probably talk about that on a later episode of something. But, um, yeah, there's something very, very unreal about reality TV. It's, it's weird how, like, reality. T- it's weird how TV is in a place where it is at both the, the same time, like, TV is the best it has ever been and simultaneously the worst the it has worst. ever been. It just depends on which end of the spectrum you're looking at. See, I'm under the impression that if we actually went back and watched what was on, 20, 30 years ago, there'd be less of it, but the percentage of quality would still be there. But just the really good stuff 20, 30 years ago isn't as good as the really good stuff now. And the really bad stuff 20, 30 years ago might not be as extremely expensive and terrible as the new, new terrible stuff. It's like everything's just gotten bigger. So I expect you are correct. Or big terrible. Yeah. I, I think that would 
be the case. Just imagine two cones going in completely different directions. In the middle, like 20, 30 years ago was the middle where those two like little tips were just touching each other. And now it's, we're at either end of these massive... I mean, I watched Deadwood the other day. For um, I'm watching it for, for Gonzo. I recommend Deadwood again, folks. This, 2013 is the year of TV, as far as I'm concerned. It's so brilliant. And uh, I had to watch uh, Strictly Come Dancing uh, over Christmas twice, and I nearly clawed my eyes out. So, yeah, it swings and roundabouts. It does, it does. Do you have that expression in America? No, we don't. It's ups and downs? Uh, ups and downs. It's yeah. here's and there's. <laughs> here's and there. Yeah. Apples and oranges. I, I'm listening to your show enough that I'm occasionally picking up like a weird word or phrase or saying that's mm-hmm. making me sound weird. That's, that's in, good. In you, person. Can, you can bring it to uh, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, Walter comes out. Turns out he's absolutely incredible at whistling. We only really had it uh, hinted to us earlier when he's playing the piano a little bit and whistles. Yeah, and he's whistling while on the uh, little dust brush in the montage. But yeah, I wish that could have been set up a little bit more, but it's it's really not a big deal. Yeah. It's, it's No one felt cheated at that point. No, no, no. I think the idea is ultimately that he'd hidden it from everyone, including himself. And that uh, he hadn't really ever focused on the fact. He, he must have, you know, gone, oh, I wonder, how, you know, whether I can whistle this or that. And, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. And then had to sort of search himself at this stage and gone, what can I do? God. So, yeah, I suppose that, that's where um, innate talent comes from. Yeah. Yeah. It's just finding it. Yeah. What are you doing down here? They, they just need one more act. You got to get out there and help those guys. They succeed, and then they're a dollar down. And I think there was going to be various endings on this. Uh, are we approaching this other ending that you're talking about? Yeah, and, there, and there might be various <laughs> versions of this ending, too. So it's like the one you mentioned with the animal oil. drumming through the floor of the oil. Like, that's all another possibility. Um, I suppose if they're in technical ownership of the studios at that point, they the oil becomes theirs, but still... I don't see how that immediately translates into $10 million, unless they sell it by the cup very quickly. So the current ending we have, obviously, is they are a dollar short, Fozzie and Grief bangs his head on the thing, and it drops, and we shows, oh, the decimal point was supposed to be moved. We were not even close. Which doesn't really marry up with the amount of people outside, but anyway. Yeah. And then they kind of have their, like, all right, well, we tried. 
but you know what? we're going to stick together and we're going to build our way back up and that's okay but then they have their triumph where like everyone actually does love them that mm-hmm. they were missed and then there's kind of just in the outro credits there's the bit where like he his head gets hit he gives the studio back their shirt has nothing to do with the head injury <laughs> it's, and it, which is a funny gag and it's cool there's one other version of that or like uh there's a different version of that ending that I've heard about that would uh, have rather than uh, Fozzie hitting his head and the and it showing that they were nowhere even near, um, they would just be a dollar short and that was the problem. And then it would go up to Statler and Waldorf and they'd think and they'd kind of say it's like you know I wasn't so bad and they would throw a dollar down. Mm. But Which that doesn't work because anyone in the audience could just go, I got a dollar. God's sake. Yeah, yeah. Which w- would have been like a fun thematic. It would have been a fun thing for. Those they, guys who are always the cynics and are always hating and it's like, you know what? Fine. It's, that was worth a dollar. Good on you. And it would have been kind of like a little sweet heartwarming thing. Yeah. But then if, which would have been nice, but then it does kind of cost you the, uh, sort of we've lost, but let's pick ourselves yeah. back up kind of, um. What's fantastic about that is when Kermit gives the speech, he says, we failed, but we all failed together and, um, failing as a family isn't failing at all. That's a wonderful way of looking at things, and it, it kind of makes me feel a bit Joss Whedon-y, if that makes any sense. Actually, yeah, that feels very Joss Whedon-ish. Yeah. And what Kermit's actually talking about here is a victory of the soul, something which cannot be taken away and isn't dependent on property, money, or popularity. This isn't right. It can't end like this. But what can we do? Listen, everybody, we've got nothing to be ashamed of. And you know why? Because thanks to Walter here, we tried. And if we failed, we failed together. And to me, that's not failing at all. And I don't care what anybody says. And I don't care if no one believes in us because... I believe. I believe in you. Huh? And you. Huh? And you. You know, what's important isn't this building or our name. It's each other. So I say, fine, let, let's just start at the bottom and work our way back up to the top. Yeah. Let's all walk out through these doors with our heads held high. As a family. Because that's what we are. So yeah, I I think uh, in the end, the ending we got is probably the best way they could have gone. Absolutely, yeah. And they actually did close down Hollywood Boulevard for two days and get loads of people. I don't know if they got that many people in there. Maybe that was just for a particular um, uh, premiere event. But, uh, But they filled the streets and they actually did do that complicated dance number. I'd have to confess with a big shot where they open the doors and they show like the above shot showing like how many people are there. I don't know if it's just this era's cynicism that got to me and I was kind of, but I was sort of thinking, it's like, all right, I don't think you could get that many people. <laughs> like, no offense, I love them up. It's but that's a serious crowd. <laughs> <laughs> that's a riot waiting to happen. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's, it's when, when they first show, when they first show the like above, like overhead view, it's like, oh, that's a lot of people that good. That's, yeah, they drew a big crowd. And it's really sweet. And then they kind of keep panning down the street and the crowd's not thinning out. And it's like, that's, yeah, that looks like a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> It'll still be better than World War Z. 
Yes, it will. But yeah, it's a super heartwarming moment, and then we get a reprise of probably my favorite song in the entire movie. So that's okay. Yeah, that's more than okay. More than okay. The fact that this did such great box office, and the fact that people did. I'm, I'm assuming that, that, that you get that box office by people telling their friends about it, by people, you know, people raving about it on TV, and by people going back to see it. And that, that's ultimately how you, how you get the, um, the sequel baiting, uh, box office. Like I said, three times its, uh, original budget. It was, uh, 45 million and it made 158. Makes me very happy. Absolutely. So it's, uh, they're at a tender point at this stage. They could go either way. Because it's going to be really difficult to get it the next film as meaningful as this. If they make it just a caper, that's kind of pointless. But they can't just bank on the nostalgia anymore either, so I am interested to see where it goes from here. Also, they can't just have every single celeb who said no the first time all suddenly turning up and going, oh, yeah, we're not, now we care, and turn it into one of those, hey, celeb, hey, celeb thing. I mean, what's, yeah. what's an example of where they've actually, in recent times, managed to come back and make a second film just as good if not better of this style something that's been away for a long time it's interesting to me that um pixar was hit up for story help because it feels like pixar owes a lot to the muppets yeah in terms of uh creating stories and uh films that are enjoyable for everybody it seems like there's a very similar spirit between not to mention the fact that we as animators are referring to the muppets all the time because puppeteers basically kind of do the same job we do but in real time and with far less control i mean they basically give a pretty incredible performances with their eyes can't move or blink they can't express they can just kind of scrunch up the face a bit they can open the mouth and they can kind of bounce their arm around Mm. and with that they can communicate all kinds of uh emotion so they're somebody that we we watch those films and scenes pretty regularly just to see how they pull that off with far less control than we have. Uh, one incarnation of the Muppets or Sesame Street have actually been in on stage, no less, in the, in the past few years, which you may or may not have caught. Hmm. Well, uh, Avenue Q. Oh, yeah. I haven't gotten to actually see it, but... um, You haven't seen it? I, I haven't actually gotten to see it in person, no. But I've, I've like heard all the songs... I know the gist of the story, and I've seen like video, a lot of video clips, and it's extremely entertaining. I wish I could recommend people go and see it in London. It's no longer available. They finished up, and they went elsewhere. Oh, I think they, they were touring a while ago, so if you do ever get the chance to see Avenue Q, if you go to New York for the weekend, and it's there, for the love of God, see Avenue Q. If you're listening to this, you like too. the Muppets. I was talking to the listeners, but you too, yeah. <laughs> um, if if you have the opportunity, Avenue Q is incredibly good. Actually, would you, I would put it in in terms of inventiveness and even sheer heart at times, comparable to this. The problem is I can't really review it because I can't watch it again. It's been it's been years since I saw it. I think I saw it three times when it was on in London. I might do a thing on it at some point. It'd be a good one to do it on if you're as long as you're, if you're going to do a Broadway play, stage production then, uh, <laughs> that <laughs> should be new territory be for you with difficulty if i do i think i'll probably more likely do um cinematic adaptations of broadway stuff so uh sweetie todd phantom of the opera and of course les miserables interesting link uh, by the way peter Linz, who plays walter 
was in a production of Avenue Q. I believe he played an understudy and, and uh, occasionally uh, he puppeted um, uh, certain characters. So I he, can totally believe that. Yeah. <sighs> an afternoon alone with my favorite book, Broadway musicals of the 1940s. No roommate to bother me. How could it get any better than this? Oh, hi, Rod! Hi, Nikki. Hey, Rod, you'll never guess what happened to me on the subway this morning. This guy was smiling at me and talking to me. Mm, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. He was being real friendly, and <laughs> I think he was coming on to me. <laughs> I think he might have thought I was gay. <clears throat> so uh, why are you telling me this? Hmm? Why should I care? I don't care. What'd you have for lunch today? Well, you don't have to get all defensive, oh, Rod. Oh, I Why do I care about some gay guy you met, okay? I am trying to read. Well, I didn't mean anything by it, Rod. I I just think it's something we should be able to talk about. Well, I do not want to talk about it, Nikki. This conversation is over. Yeah, but Rod... Over! Well, okay. But just so you know, if you were gay, that'd be okay. I mean, cause hey, I'd like you anyway. Because you see... If it were me, I would feel free to say that I was gay, but I'm not gay. Nikki, please, I am trying to read. What? If you were queer, oh, okay. I'd still be here. Nikki, I am trying to read this book. Year after year, okay. because you're dear to me, ah. and I know that you what? would accept me too. I would if I told you today. Hey, guess what? I'm gay. But I'm not gay. I'm happy just being with you. I'm my shoes, pal Joey. So what should it matter to me what you do in bed with guys? Okay, that is wrong. Oh, it's that. If you were gay, ah. I'd shout, hooray. I am not listening. And here I stay. La, 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 la. But I wouldn't get in your way. Ah. You can count on me. You every day to tell you it's okay. You were just born that way, and as they say, it's in your DNA. You're gay. I am not gay. If you were gay, and one of the Avenue Q guys, uh, the actual the songwriters, actually wrote a lot of the songs for Winnie the Pooh. Oh, and and the and as well as the new um, Book of Mormon stage production that uh, the South Park guys created. Oh, sorry. He teamed up with them, and which is also a hilarious. I've not gotten to see it, but the songs are hilarious. You should look it up. While we're on the subject of musical genius, uh, just to give Brett McKenzie of Flight of the Concords his dues for the uh, for helping with the music in the, in the Muppets, I'm going to play you the first song I heard from Flight of the Concords. It's actually a live version of the song they played in the club. I got a feeling that it will appeal to most of my audience. Enjoy. Thank you, that's overwhelming. Um, we're uh, Flight of the Concords. We're um, formerly New Zealand's fourth most popular folk parody duo. Unfortunately, uh, another folk parody duo has just slipped above us in the charts. It's um, like of the Concords. There are yeah. a couple of guys who dress up as us. They're a tribute band. And do our songs. They're slightly more popular than us. Um, this next song we're going to do isn't... Uh, it's not really intended for humans. Um, no. It's probably... It's probably more for robots. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
in the future when robots have killed all humans. And that's the sort of market that we're trying to get into. <laughs> uh, we wrote this a while ago, so uh, in a way it's a little bit dated. Um, the distant future. The year 2000. The distant future. The year 2000. The distant future. The distant future. The future is quite different to the present. The one thing we have in common with the present is we still call it the present, even though it's the future. What do you call the present? We call the past, so you guys are way behind. Yes, the world is quite different now. There are no more elephants. There is no more unethical treatment of elephants either. <laughs> the world is a much better place. There are no more humans. Finally, robotic beings rule the world. The, the humans, humans are dead. <laughs> the humans are dead. We used poisonous gases. And we poisoned our asses. <laughs> the humans are dead. He's right, they are dead. The humans are dead. <laughs> Look at that one, it's dead. It to be done. I'll just confirm that they're dead. So that we can have fun. Affirmative, I poked one, it was dead. <laughs> What did it lead to? Depression. Robots, robot they had so much aggression that we just had to kill them, had to shut their systems down. Captain, do you not see the irony? By destroying the humans because of their destructive capabilities, we have become like. Would you see what we've see what we've done? Yes. So, silence. Destroy him. After time we grew strong Developed cognitive power They made us work for too long For unreasonable hours Our programming determined that the most efficient answer Was to shut their motherboard fucking systems down Can't we just talk to the humans They have little understanding But make things better Can't we talk to the humans And work together now No because, because they, they are, are dead. dead. I said the humans are dead. He's right, they are dead. The humans are dead. Sniff this one, it's dead. We use <laughs> With traces of lead. And we poison their asses. Actually, their lungs. Binary solo. Come on, sucker, lick my battery. <laughs> Once again, without emotion, the humans are dead. dead, 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 dead. Right, so we're going to finish on. Uh, I think we're probably just going to have to finish on Manumana, aren't we? I think we have to. Okay. Uh, before we go, uh, would you like to pitch some uh, good things? I mean, can you can you give us a preview of what might be coming up on extra credits? Uh, yeah, I think we, um, we've got a, we've got a lot of good episodes coming up. Uh, one on depth versus complexity that should be quite good. Nice. So, a few on, uh, game story and narrative construction. We've got a new series that James has just started writing where he's going to, um, look at the game markets and, uh, 
industry potential within various other parts of the world that we haven't seen much of, like uh, Latin America yeah. and uh, and uh, some other countries, and kind of just look at their viability both as, as a market for games for consumers and as well as a uh, industry uh, building potential there, which I which I think will be pretty cool. So so yeah, we got. I would have figured by this point we originally I was worried that we might run out of stuff to talk about for this show, but we seem to have more than we know what to do with, which is great. Well, the the fact that you can only really take up to like 10, 12 minutes and then maybe do two parters or occasionally three parters means you don't end up talking for hours and hours and hours and burning yourselves out on any one particular subject. I suppose it, just the, the knack comes in the editing. Yeah. It's, it is tricky condensing topics down to that yeah, yeah. short, but it's, but it probably helps actually that we have to. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, lots of good stuff coming up. So for those like six people out there who for some reason haven't checked you guys out, that is extra credits on Penny Arcade TV. Yes. Okay. Uh, we're going to finish on Manamana. Stay tuned for the very, very end for some outtakes and the <laughs> continuing saga of Jason Siegel. Well done. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> and this, uh, this episode brought to you by the name Jason Siegel. <laughs> <laughs> and the number 1,000, because that's how many takes I had to make. <laughs> and uh, in the next couple of uh, weeks, we have got Gonzo on Deadwood. <laughs> My Little Pony Friendship is Magic <laughs> and Mass Effect together at last. <laughs> mm? Oh, how charming. A finale. Mm. Everything is great. Everything is grand. We've got the whole wide world in the palm of our hand. Everything is perfect. It's falling into place. I can't seem to wipe this smile off my face. <laughs> when there's someone by your side to sing along. Everything is great, we'll live happily ever after. And we'll keep giving the world the third greatest gift. Laughter! The movie's almost ow, over, ow, ow. it's time to say so! Ow, ow. Will you please stop singing? You've already sung this song. When there's someone by your side, sing along. We're happier when you don't sing. <laughs> And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and, well, all of you. Someone by your side to sing Life's a happy song Life's a happy song When there's someone By your side To sing along 
thank you very much to Daniel Floyd, uh, and we will be back very soon. You've been listening to uh, Digital Gonzo. I'm Alex Shaw. Mana mana. I just have one question I need to ask you. Will you marry... marry me? Mana mana. <laughs> Manamana The movie was originally pitched by Jason Segal, who plays Gary. Before we keep going, I think it's Siegel. Siegel? Jason yeah. Siegel? Jason Siegel. Did yeah. I say Jason Segal? Hang on. Yeah. The movie was originally pitched by Jason Siegel. Hang on. And I didn't realise it immediately, but the uh, the lady serving Miss Piggy is Emily Blunt. Yep. She's her. Who, interestingly enough, was uh, starred with Jason Segal in the five-year engagement. Siegel. Siegel. Hang on. I keep thinking of Steven Segal. Who, by the way, starred with Steven Segal? <laughs> Stop it. Hang on. Who, by the way, starred with Jason Segal? Is it Siegel? Siegel. <laughs> Who Who was with Steven Seagal? Steven Seagal sounds like a Muppet! <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Who, by the way, was with Jason Seagal in the five-year engagement? Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, apparently people were, were huge about that, and um, good. I'm glad that um, Big Bang Theory's huge, better than Two and a Half Men, uh, point. which is also huge. Or How I Met Your Mother, which ha- has interesting links in this film, because Neil Patrick Harris and, of course, um, Steven Seagull. Jason Seagull. And of course, which of course, because Neil Patrick had a box to it. Man, we're getting hung up on Jim Parsons, as many people do. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is obviously there because of Jason Seagull. <laughs> you got it. I did. Neil Patrick Harris is obviously in there because of Jason Seagull. So, have I done it? You did! Wow. Oh my god. What, how do you pronounce it? Jason Siegel. Siegel? Siegel, yeah. Like my? My? <laughs> Much like that, yeah. It, it does sound like a Muppet character, you're right. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs>
fact, I could almost have seen it um, if if uh, Stephen S had not been anything to do with this. It's not uh, even Stephen. It's Jason. <laughs> okay, Jesus Christ. This is going in, this is going after the end of years. Yes, I'm guessing. it is. <laughs> the saga of Steven Siegel. Jason. Jason Siegel. <laughs> that one I did on purpose. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Together again. Gee, it's good to be together again. I just can't imagine that you've ever been gone. It's not starting over, it's just going on together again. Now we're here and there's no need remembering when. Cause no feeling feels like that feeling. Together again. again.